Hit it. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. You're listening to Pod Me If You Can. This is Pod Me If You Can. Movie reviews by David and Lloyd. An Australian podcast on your favorite movies. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Welcome to Pod Me If You Can, I'm David Farrell, and today on the show I'm interviewing New Zealand writer-director Hayden J. Wheel. Now Hayden's film Chronesthesia got rebranded in Australia as Love and Time Travel. It's a no-budget New Zealand film that I really think you should check out. Here's the blurb from the back of the DVD. When Dan Duncombe isn't working at a cafe or going on his daily run, he's perfectly happy to stay at home, disconnected from the people around him. But all that changes when he starts receiving strange messages on the inside of his bedroom window. Each day a new message, more puzzling than the last. Not only that, he's having confusing, disjointed dreams about people he's never met. In particular, a girl who stirs his emotions like no one has before. As Dan gets involved with each of these people, he discovers there's a web of relationships uniting them all. And by changing their lives, he transforms his own. This was a really fun interview with Hayden. I really appreciate him coming on the show. And uh, if you guys get a chance, his film is available in iTunes. It's on YouTube. You can special order it from JB Hi-Fi like I did. Check out Chronesthesia. It's also known as Love and Time Travel. You can find more information at chronomovie.com. That's C-H-R-O-N-O movie.com. For now, I'll leave you with a bit of the trailer and then the interview with Hayden J. Wheel. I've been receiving messages and... uh... I've decided I'm just going to go with them. Okay. Look for somebody. Just, yeah, just someone. Who are you looking for? Okay, a girl. What's your name? Sophia. How are you? Good. Who's this guy? Or it was just me and you. Dan? Simon, how are you? What are you doing? I don't know. I'm on a search too. So she could be anywhere out there. I'm at your deal. What's her romantic advice from me? And you'll help me find Genevieve? Yeah. When you say messages, do you mean like voices? No, no, not like voices. Look, I'm not crazy. I'm not saying you're crazy. You look very tense, Dan. Take it off for me. Come on. Anyone who studies the brain has to remember that we have next to no idea of how the brain actually works. Phenomena that can't be explained. Chemistry that simply works differently. We just have to accept it and do what we can. Uh, welcome, Hayden, to the podcast. I just want to hear, initially, do you have an origin story? You know, when did you want to be a filmmaker? Oh, I love that question. I watched Back to the Future when I was really little. I think I was probably five or something, and I watched it over and over again. I'd rewind my, all my favorite bits, the skateboarding bits and the playing guitar bits and the action bits. And I think when I discovered that you were allowed to do that kind of thing, then I thought, cool, I'll make my version of Back to the Future over and over again. And hopefully I can make people feel the way that I felt when I watched Back to the Future. Absolutely. And I suppose we're all still waiting for flying cars and hoverboards, aren't we? Yeah, they're not far away. And so your favorite films growing up were kind of these adventure films, I suppose? Yeah, definitely, man. I um, I love adventure films and i guess once the harry potter started coming out when i was in my teen years there there are there are adventure films too i guess detective films piecing together clues and they keep the audience guessing and 
characters aren't exactly who you think they are. That's really intriguing to me, I think. And so once the avenue of filmmaker became a job that, you know, you could have, did you go to school for it? Did you just find yourself on as many sets as you could? Um, I went to university for a year, but I mucked around a lot. I ended up not even going to my exams. I um, decided that I'd use all the course-related costs that I got from the government to fly over to the Gold Coast and, and go to schoolies. So I was a toolie um, that year. <laughs> Um, and then when I, I was, I was kind of getting a bit sick of not doing anything and I enrolled in the New Zealand film and television school, which was about eight hours drive down South of where I lived. And I did that for a year. That was a lot more practical. That was a lot more stimulating. And I met a lot of amazing people. And that's really where things took off. Is it a big, um, is it a big, uh, film community in New Zealand? You know what? It really is. I don't know if actually it's a big, but it's it feels big. People are doing a lot. And because we've got such a small population, there's not a huge amount of money in it unless you're making multi-million dollar international projects like Sir Peter Jackson is. So a lot of people were doing a lot of things for the love of it and passion and genuine intrigue seems to be what gets people out doing things. So it's a real push to, to make things that you believe in in New Zealand. So let's uh, talk about Love and Time Travel, or uh, as its original title was, Chronesthesia, uh, mental time travel, if you will. Let's talk about the title change. You know, why the rebranding, Hayden? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, chronesthesia is a concept that a guy came up with in the 80s, I think. Um, Indel Turing? No, Indel someone. Oh, man, I wish I knew that because his son actually emailed me through my website and got in touch um, after the movie's release. Chronesthesia is so hard to say and remember and spell. <laughs> uh, we used it just as a working title while we were writing and shooting and cutting. And then when the release date was coming up, we were looking at a whole bunch of other names and we couldn't settle on anything. So we went with Chronesthesia. We thought it's different. If you Google it, not a whole lot of hits are going to come up for anything else. We got a sales agent over there who would represent us to the rest of the world. And they felt very, very strongly that chronesthesia was going to prove to be more problematic and we should be searching for a better name. And they said, what about something simple like love and time travel? And that name had never come up when we were looking for names. So writing the film, where did this idea come from for you? I don't know. I mean, I remember being on a bus when I was visiting my mum and I thought how cool it would be if you could have your consciousness at two places at once and what a fun action scene that would make for. Um, and I think it kind of just got born from there. I thought, well, what if one of your consciousness was ahead of the other one? Um, so you were trying to warn your previous self about events that could occur. And it kind of just got born from there. So I as well uh, are quite fascinated with the idea of time travel. I really enjoy time travel movies and lo-fi time travel movies, I suppose, like your own, where there's not really a big machine or like a car that you jump into. You know, there's not a mode to time travel. This is all happening within his own consciousness. Um, I suppose if chronesthesia existed, 
that'd be fascinating. And, uh, you know, is there anything that you would go back and sort of tell yourself? Oh, man. Yeah, probably a lot. I don't like to think about it because regret is such a waste of an emotion. But if chronesthesia was real, yeah, I'd go back to when I was 19 and tell myself not to get arrested. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Dare I ask what you did wrong? <laughs> um, I snuck into a building with a bunch of other people and um, we ended up getting uh, in trouble for it. Um, and that, that ended up really complicating my travel to the States and I missed out on a big trip, which was a real shame. Yeah, that's all blown over now. It's been over 11 years, but it, it, it really did make for a very frustrating few months trying to get a visa. Fair enough. And that's, you know, you're just breaking into a building or whatever. Um, it's not as if that's a huge crime, I suppose. But yeah, that uh, being arrested in general would mess it around for you. Yeah, it really does. Eh? Well, trusting the authorities was my real big issue. And so I urge people to to deal with the police very, very carefully. Yeah, what about you? What would you change? Well, um, I mean, I've, uh, you know, spent years in a relationship which didn't go anywhere. Uh, that felt like a bigger waste of time, I suppose, you know, in retrospect. Uh, but I've been, um, I've been married now for almost seven years. And I suppose I would love to know the idea that we met years and years before we got together. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to know what would happen if we got together then. And just suppose the differences in our kids, you know, we have two kids and I'd love to know what our kids would have been like. And we would have been obviously much younger parents and like choices like that. I got offered two jobs in one day uh, and I took one and obviously turned down the other. I'd love to know what would have happened if I'd worked in a completely different environment. Changes your whole life, doesn't it? Exactly. It really does. I mean, there's a simple element in... Um, love and time travel, just the visual, uh, when he gets turned right. And, uh, there's literally the road less traveled, you know, he's on a running path and it's a visual fork in the road. I guess, are you a carpe diem kind of guy? I think so. Yeah. I, I don't really ever do full-time work anymore. And I, I don't work on long projects anymore. I do, I've done a couple of my life and I prefer to have the, have the time. So yeah, I'd say i probably am what about what about yourself you carpe diem <laughs> i'd like to say yes but i'm probably much more of a sensible uh you know um nine to five stay in my lane uh <laughs> in your lane oh that's cool there are definite pros and cons to both ways eh? mm, definitely um i wanted to ask you about the the writing on the window you know that is the way he's receiving messages in the film did you have trouble choosing what words to have him write on the window? Because, I mean, at one point they go to, like, um, he and Sophia. I say he, but it's you. Uh, he and Sophia go and have those delicious-looking sort of sautéed chicken burgers, and I, I would have imagined maybe sautéed chicken would have appeared there at some point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would, have been, that would have been a cool and interesting different approach. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I did have real trouble, I think, trying to find phrases that would have three separate meanings at three different times thinking back to the writing process i think now i write very differently like I, the next film is written with somebody else and the film after that that we've got planned is written in a different way again but yeah with with chronesthesia there was just a lot of i mean there's just a big spreadsheet really that had exactly when everything was happening and um 
you also acted in the film. Obviously, you are the lead. Your your decision to cast yourself was that always the plan? Uh, I think so. Yeah, I mean, I made a web series before Chronesthesia that I starred in the first episode, and it was so much easier because every day that I am there to direct, I'm there. So I thought, what better way? If I'm doing a film with no money, and sometimes people are incredible and reliable, and sometimes there are unforeseen circumstances that ruin an entire day's shooting. But I knew that if I was the lead, there was always going to be stuff that we could shoot. There was just a cool issue of somebody having to jump in the ice-cold ocean at different times of the day and night. And I'd also written it for somebody about my age and my kind of energy. And I thought, I'm very happy to do it for free. I'm happy to jump into the ice cold ocean. And, and every that I'm on set as a director, I'm also there available to be the actor. So it was kind of a no brainer. It just made sense when you're dealing with no budget to utilize the resources as best you can. You seem like a charismatic guy. You know, was you mentioned kind of writing it for somebody your age. Uh, was it difficult to play it down and kind of be introverted? Uh, that's hilarious that you ask. Yeah. Um, it kind of really, really was, that was my biggest challenge. I, especially because I was not watching the monitor when I was acting. So I would rely heavily on Simon Duncombe, who's my chief collaborator and the DOP and the visual effects for the project. He also plays the fisherman and the council point scene. He would, after every take, I would trust him to basically direct so he is directing the next couple of projects with me because we have just we've got such a good thing going. And he would tell me after most takes, like that was really, really good, except you're just too Hayden. Just dial it back. Like you're you're way too Hayden. You're way too like uh, eager to connect with these people. Um so that was always my big note from Simon was just just take it down a notch. Absolutely. I mean I've checked out your website and obviously uh you like being naked a lot and uh have a tattoo on your butt and that's right you know so there's a there's a charisma that comes across on your website that obviously you don't want to come through in your performance yeah exactly and it kind of becomes a bit strange as well having the website and having people know who i am then it creates a real disparity between me and a character and i think it's harder to lose yourself in a story if you know that the lead actor is happy to get naked on the internet uh can you reveal the budget of this film zero dollars well and that's not entirely true i mean we bought lunch for people so we had no crew the the crew was simon duncombe he was shooting it he was recording the sound Mm -hmm. we would do art department and everything together there was very very minimal lighting and whenever there was lighting we would just set it up on a tripod and there was you know we had no technicians so the only cast that were in the film were the people that were there on the day, and a lot of people were shot out very quickly. So it was just lunch for a couple of people. And then when it came to post-production, I cut the film. Simon did the visual effects. Simon did the grading. The only thing that really we have to spend money on is the sound post-production. That's really, really expensive, but it's also very, very important, especially in chronesthesia because we had one person recording sound as well as video. And we used lapel mics. We never had a boom mic. We were always having to patch up bad sound. Every scene, we'd lose a few lines. And and most feature films, you have about 100 lines, maybe maximum, that need to be redone. But we had 470. 
that we had to redo. So we had days and days and days in the recording booth. And we were really lucky. We know a guy that has a post-production sound facility. He'd worked on a couple of projects with us, and he came on board to do it for free as a deferred fee later on. So we were incredibly fortunate there. And uh, obviously that all worked out really well because I understand you won a New Zealand Film Award for Best Sound. <laughs> yeah, isn't that hilarious? He he is an amazing guy. Like he really smashed it, especially when it comes to the chronesthesia sequences. All that fun cutting and dream sequence stuff is nothing without the sound. Mm-hmm. He doesn't really want it known that we didn't have a sound recordist because he doesn't want everybody thinking that you could just get away with bad sound and then the sound post guy will patch it all up. But he really is a superstar. I mean, the guy the guy does an incredible job, and now he has the accolades to show for it. I mean, you mentioned it's a zero-budget film, but it seems like you got everyone you could involved. I mean, as you said, your DOP plays a fisherman. I believe your girlfriend plays a yoga instructor. Uh, was it a blissful experience working together? Yeah, it really was. It was so much fun. I like everybody involved in that film. So we had a couple of people that found locations for us. So we had a stunt coordinator that came and helped out for the day for for the end sequence. We had yeah every cast member, nobody had an audition. They were all people that I had worked with in the past. Mm-hmm. And in most senses, I had written the part for them. So Nova Watatini Hewison, who plays Summer in the film, I had known her for five years since she was a little girl. Uh, Nick Blake, who plays Richard, I'd worked with him on The Hobbit for almost three years. So we had a really great rapport. We were incredibly lucky when it came to casting. Yeah. Um, I'd go for runs a lot by myself. And I discovered all these little spots that just looked fantastic. And I mean, if we were just two people in a camera, then we could get away shooting there for free without a permit. So that's what we did. And uh, the purple room on screen, I understand that was perhaps your bedroom. <laughs> that was indeed my bedroom. Yeah, just another lucky score, really. I was, renting, I was renting a flat which had like very vivid walls. So would be silly not to use those. And so if you just fling some fairy lights up, everything looks fantastic. Uh, well, tell us, you know, it sounds like a great shoot. Um, were there any days, you know, if you had to pick your kind of best and worst moment on this shoot, where would they land? Oh, that's a good one. It was pretty hard shooting at the Cuba Festival. So that's the Cuba Street Carnival that used to happen every year in Wellington. We decided we were going to shoot that at the markets, but that festival was coming up. So we decided to shoot it then with hundreds and hundreds of people around. <laughs> that was a challenge. That was fun. A lot of people looking at camera, and of course, you can't have anybody on screen unless you get a release form from them. So we had to be careful. The added challenge was the Wellington weather. It's very similar to Melbourne, I understand. And it can just start raining out of nowhere. The wind can pick up and make sound impossible to record. And there were a couple of days filming that we just had to we had to call it quits and find something else to film because the weather got so bad. That those were always the really hard days. And the best moments for you? It's hard to pick a best moment. They were also fantastic. I think driving to Castle Point, which is a good few hours drive. So driving to Castle Point was probably the highlight. I mean, we spent a weekend in this beautiful place just hanging out at this house. Uh, and we knew that we were making a film and following our passion. 
And we knew that if we had funding for a film, they'd never let you drive to Castle Point just for no reason other than it looks pretty. So we just felt really, really lucky and fortunate that we were able to do it. And we felt really grateful, actually, that we were doing it independently. Absolutely. Um, and it seems like you filmed everything. You know, you've got all these vlogs, behind-the-scenes moments. I saw footage of you editing, footage of the New Zealand Film Awards. Were you thinking of DVD extras, or do you just kind of keep a video diary anyway in your life? I actually did so much Googling and YouTubing to find other independent filmmakers' journeys of watch, of making their films because I wanted to know some pitfalls or I wanted to know what it was like or maybe some hints. And I think it's just a really underserved niche because we stand to be making content for each other and creating networks and helping each other out, but I couldn't really find a lot of information about people's journeys. And I wanted to really share our work and what we were doing um, and the hopes that it would inspire and help other filmmakers, I guess. I absolutely think it's you know, one of those things that will serve that purpose. I think it will inspire other people. And I found myself, you know, fascinated by the journey, just uh, watching through the lens of your iPhone. Um, it's got that kind of Kevin Smith quality, I think, where I think it will put that idea in people's minds that they too can do it, especially, you know, as you, you're saying, you've started with no budget and uh, basic kind of um, lighting setups and one-man crew, you know, it's got that Robert Rodriguez feel as well, I suppose, where, you know, one man crew and, uh, you know, it is inspiring. So well done. I am so humbled to be put in the same sentence as those guys. I mean, yeah, I mean, I suppose we uh, just, we were really sick of waiting around for some kind of financing or funding for films that we wanted to make. And what I felt like we had done we've done about eight or nine years of making shorts and series and working on other people's films. And I felt like we were really ready to tackle a feature film or at least start practicing. We didn't think that we would get it released on DVD. We didn't think it would be in cinemas that those were just really crazy, happy surprises. If you can make five minutes of story in a weekend, then there's no reason you can't make 90 minutes of story in 18 weekends. That's absolutely right. And, um, you know, from little things, big things grow. Um, tell us about this recent trip to Shanghai. Oh, how crazy is that? We were so lucky. The Shanghai International Film Festival in China selected us. And part of that was they provide finance for a representative to go over with the movie. And so I jumped at that chance. Uh, the only thing that I had to cover was a couple of flights, which I applied for some help from the New Zealand Film Commission. And they granted me. They granted me some money to be able to fly over and hang out for a week at the film festival. Um, and because my producer, Steve, who came on board afterward, actually edited the movie, he does a lot of work in China. He happened to be there at the same time. So we got to have this incredible experience at this international film festival for our movie together. There's another experience you've had that no one else in the world really has had, and that is you were the body double stand-in for Bilbo Baggins, played by Martin Freeman, in all three Hobbit films. Yeah, yeah that's right. That was a really sweet, a really sweet score. Back in 2010, we made a short film, and we had to blow up a building for it, um, and the only people with the authority to blow up stuff in New Zealand 
is New Zealand Effects, and they do all the visual, oh, they do all the practical effects for Peter Jackson's films. And through that, I just kind of, kind of went in uh, because they wanted to use me as a living mannequin to to try on the new wardrobe and the costume because I was the right size. And that grew and grew and grew until suddenly I was on board for the entire shoot to be the body double uh, and the stand-in. So I got to stand in for every single shot and I got to do a lot of doubling. I spent a lot of time with Martin Freeman and Sir Peter Jackson basically to their process, which was invaluable. I really, yeah, I really love the fact that I got to do that. It was, it was the most amazing experience. And after that, and after that shoot, Martin Freeman made me promise that I would never uh, do another big shoot like that again unless I was the one making the film. Wow. Uh, what led to him saying that? Well, Martin Freeman, Anne and McKellen, and a whole bunch of other amazing people came to the premiere of that short film. The short film was called Hot Rob, R-O-B, like the name, and it took two and a half years for us to finish because it had a lot of visual effects in it, including exploding a miniature building and a huge ball of flame. Um, so by the time that we finally finished that, we were halfway through the Hobbit shoot and Sir Peter Jackson let us premiere it in his private cinema there. And we had a great crowd come along and it was, it turned into a really nice big event. And, um, and yeah, I guess, uh, Martin was really complimentary. Uh, he took me to the world's end premiere, the, uh, Edgar Wright, Simon Pegg film that he starred in. He's been really supportive. Yeah. And being that close to Peter Jackson, you know, tell us about his process. What uh, what can we glean from your experience on those set? Oh man, uh, the the coolest thing in the world is that everybody works really hard on a Peter Jackson film because he is the nicest guy ever. He never raises his voice. He never swears. He he's always talking to everybody with a lot of respect, um, and he's always talking about what would be really great for the film. So there's no. E- ego or anything like that he's always he's always asking his collaborators what they think would be best for the film he, he just has a really good instinct for what is going to work on screen yeah I, I i just absorb i was a sponge on that set i could just listen to him talk about you know choosing where actors are going to stand for hours the guy is fascinating the shot choices and his reasoning behind them and pacing and how things are going to play on screen. Yeah, he has this really deep understanding of every single part of the process. And yeah, I mean, I wish I could spend another three years on set with him really. Who are your favorite directors, your influences? I'm guessing Peter Jackson now falls into that list, but who else? Edgar Wright, I love Edgar Wright's, you know, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, most recently Baby Driver. That guy's just incredible. Um, Robert Zemeckis, of course, from the Back to the Future series, and then Forrest Gump and Contact, and most recently uh, Flight, which was fantastic. He's really interesting because he always has the, he's got a really cool style, but it's really hard to pinpoint what his style is. Hmm. He does seem to be a bit of an every director, doesn't he? He kind of is like he could tackle anything, I think. Um, but he's he's capable of making things really big. I mean, I really love Richard Linklater. Actually, you know his um, 
there's before series, before sunrise, before sunset, and before midnight. So uh, what's next? I noticed a video on one of your many vlogs that you did a read-through for Growing Young. Tell us about that. Oh, man, I'm so excited to make this film. Oh, it's killing me. I want to be shooting it right now. Uh, I've been writing it for just over a year now with a really good friend of mine called Will Robertson. I'll be directing it with my collaborator from Chronesthesia, Simon Duncombe. And uh, it's a really, really touching and funny story about a mother and son. And there's a little bit of supernatural element. There's a little bit of a genre twist, you know, like a little bit of a difference to it. So it's not just your straight drama. But yeah, I, I, it's going to make me laugh a lot, I think, making it. Um, but it's also like a love letter to all mothers, this next movie. I think it's going to be really, really sweet. And you'll be acting in the film again? Oh, big time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to swing for the fences and play the lead again, actually. Okay. No, this could be fun. It could be a good role for you. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, he's, he's a little bit more... He's a little bit... He's got a little bit more to do than Dan and Chronesthesia, so I think that that might be better suited, I think. Well, Chronesthesia is out now on DVD in Australia, and people... You know, it's under the name Love and Time Travel, but uh, you guys can pick it up from JB Hi-Fi and... Uh, Check it out for yourself. I mean, I think you'll find it an inspiring experience. And uh, Hayden, thanks very much for coming on the podcast. Oh, thanks so much for having me, dude. I could I could talk to you for hours. That was my interview with writer, director, and actor Hayden J. Wheel uh, about his film Love and Time Travel, a.k.a. Chronesthesia. If you want to check out the movie, head to chronomovie.com. The film's available in iTunes. Uh, you can purchase it now, I think, through YouTube, possibly Amazon. Or as I said in the intro, I special ordered it from JB Hi-Fi. So uh, check out his no-budget film. It's really quite inspiring to see when you know that it's, it's no-budget. I mean, it's even more impressive. And uh, as listeners of Pod Me, if you can know, I dig time travel movies. So this was a lot of fun for me to check out. Find the complete back catalogue of Pod Me If You Can at podmeifyoucan.com. Follow us on Facebook, uh, subscribe in iTunes, and leave us a rating. And uh, we'll be bringing you more interviews throughout the year. Hit it. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening. Please like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Pod Me If You Can. Movie Reviews. 